Well, thank you to everyone who has led us in wonderful worship already. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2. In 2012 in Fargo, North Dakota, a local radio program was allowing people to call in and share their frustrations with their community. One lady, Donna, very seriously called in with this problem. Well, I wanted to voice my opinion about something that has bothered me for a really long time, she said. I've tried writing the newspaper and calling the TV stations, and for some reason, no one wants anything to do with this. These deer. I was involved with three separate car accidents with these deer, the overpopulation, you know. All of these accidents occurred shortly after I saw a deer crossing sign on the highway. My frustration is that the Minnesota and North Dakota Departments of Transportation would allow these deer crossings to be in such high traffic areas. (laughs) I've even seen these deer crossing signs on the interstate. Why are we encouraging deer to cross at the interstate? I don't get it, that's a high traffic area. She goes on and on. It seems to me so irresponsible of us to allow these deer crossing signs to be in places where they're so likely to be struck by oncoming oncoming traffic. You'd, You'd think we'd pick slower places like we do with school crossings. We can slow down the traffic. The host, this is a true story, the host of the radio program keeps trying to break in and, and rescue her, but she's so upset, she keeps going. Finally, he gets a word, and well, Donna, you know deer crossings aren't telling the deer to cross there. It's more of an alert to drivers that they might. Well, she just won't hear it. They can direct the deer population anywhere they want to by moving those signs. Why in the world would we put them on the highway? On one hand, Donna McDeer Lady, as she's now affectionately called, was being really logical. She had thought about the government, how it could help the deer. She'd thought about the reasons the deer might want to traverse the pavement. She just thought the signs were communicating with the deer and not the drivers. Galatians 2, we're talking about our own crossing signs today, not why chickens or deer cross roads, but my question for us this morning is, how do we as Christians cross over and reach out across the dividing lines that separate us? I think when we often read what Paul is saying here, we think Peter or Paul or someone else had a problem, but not me. This crossing sign isn't for me, but I believe the Lord has an invitation in this for each of us this morning, wherever we find ourselves. Before we read, let me say quickly that in the backdrop of of this story is, is Acts chapter 10. Peter has this vision where God commands him to eat foods that previously Peter had thought were unclean, they were unfit for him. And through this interaction, Peter realizes he's being called to fellowship with the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the them. Peter says in Acts 10, 28, remember this, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. God has shown me I should not call any man unholy or unclean. And it's great. Cornelius is this man that this involves, and he's a hardened Roman centurion, a warrior, a leader, and his entire house receive Christ and get baptized. Look with me at Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. 
When Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to coming, prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So after Peter's vision in Acts 10, he begins reaching out to the Gentiles. He's offering table fellowship, eating with, enjoying time with, showing that he approves of them. People come to know Christ until he does it only for a while. Some people from the Jewish circumcision party come and say, no, 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 these people are unclean. What are you doing? And Peter stops eating with them. Have you ever seen someone get ditched? A bunch of friends play a so-called joke and leave somewhere, someone somewhere. Like a cruel teenage prank, Peter backs off and stops spending time with his people, these people with whom he developed a relationship. He is a Christian speaking for God, and he withdraws. This very well could be Cornelius that he has withdrawn from, and his family of newly excited believers now left out, looked down upon. Wait, where's Peter, our friend? He cared for us. He said God cared. He's here in town? He won't eat with us? I want us to hear three truths of the cross community from Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. First, the gospel has social implications. The gospel has relational implications. When Paul comes and sees that Peter is ditching the Gentiles, he says the most amazing thing. He says, you are not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. He's saying Peter violated the gospel itself and how he excluded these people. The gospel, the good news, is very much tied up in how we treat other people. The gospel is the good news that our God has substituted himself on the cross as payment for our sin. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can have new life. We can have our resurrection made sure as we place faith in what Jesus has done for us. But we know just agreeing with those truth statements does not make a person a Christian. Becoming a Christian is when those objective truths about Jesus become a living reality in our lives. We enter a relationship with Jesus as our Lord. We want to follow him. We want to learn. Jesus says in the, the Great Commission, go into all the world, to all the nations, and teach these new disciples everything I've taught you and teach them to do it. So being a Christian means we're interested in knowing everything Jesus taught us. And he cared very much about how we treated others. Look with me as this idea is carried forward with Paul. Skip down to chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore be sure it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. 
The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. This is huge. Paul is saying that God preached the gospel to Abraham, not in Matthew chapter 1, not in Luke chapter 1, but all the way back in Genesis. When God said, I will bless everyone through you, the, the fact that God's promise to Abraham is not just about he and his descendants, Jewish blood, but also all of the nations. That's what verse 8 says. God was preaching the gospel a long time ago. See, the gospel implies a community of people. And to ignore that community of people is to be in danger of ignoring Jesus himself. The gospel implies a community, and to ignore it is to be in danger of ignoring Jesus himself. The second truth about the cross community is who we eat with shows who we think God cares about. Who we eat with shows who we think God cares about. That brings it close to home, literally, doesn't it? Who do you have at your kitchen table? Who do I have at mine? Maybe you're not a good cook. Who do you share coffee with? People started, Peter started to step out in this story, to reach across those dividing lines of social groups, but he got scared and pulled back. He feared these people who were putting this peer pressure on him. As humans, our natural tendency is to divide up and join up with people who are most like us, isn't it? In one sense, there's really Nothing wrong with that. We'll enjoy having things in common with other people. It's fun to root for the same sports teams with someone. Maybe it's not as much fun to lose as your, your teams lose, as some of mine did yesterday. We were rooting for Baylor and the Cubs the last two days, and my son just, last night, long game, just kind of tired of losing, said, maybe I'll just go for the Indians. <laughs> I was thinking, two days of losing. Cubs fans have been waiting 71 years to be in this situation. It's great to sense that commonality and support with people who are like us. The world works like this though. People divide into an infinite number of groups like uh, of like age, same station in life, similar economic status, like number of kids or lack thereof, like hobbies, like food tastes, and on and on. We draw walls around our group even when we feel excluded by another group. We become more solidified. Eventually, drawing walls of likeness around a group causes those in it to start drawing walls even around each other until no community is left. One academic who studies this notes this is called ethnocentrism. Ethnocentrism, and when a group thinks it's the center of everything and all of the groups are scaled down and referenced to my group. In ethnocentrism, our ways are superior to yours, which leads to egocentrism. Egocentrism says my ways are better than everyone else's ways. An egocentric person, this scholar writes, thinks he's the center of the universe. He is constantly evaluating others to see if they measure up to the standards of his own bubble 
in his own lonely world. God has made it clear to Peter. In my name, reach across the lines of your group. The gospel has social implications. Who we eat with show who we think God cares about. And third, God cares about every single being on this planet. Look at Galatians 3, 27, all the way down to the end of the chapter. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Think about that image being clothed with Christ by excluding people at his table. Peter was violating the very sacrifice that Christ had made for these people. Peter was rejecting Christ's image in these people. If we have all put on Christ at baptism, then what do we see when we look at each other? Well, we can't really see skin color that much, can we? We can't really see the wrinkles in our skin, can we? If, if we are clothed with Christ, we see Christ. And Paul goes on, verse 28, to describe even more what he's talking about. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ. What this is helping us see is that it was always God's intention to reach out. Look at verse 29 you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. God had been saying throughout all of the Old Testament that he would reach out like this. Leviticus 19, when a stranger resides in, with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were all aliens in the land of Egypt, and I am your God. Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 27, cursed is he who distorts the justice. Do an alien, an orphan, or a widow. Psalms, and I love Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will separate me from his people. No, thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give my house. And within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, which shall not be cut off. Paul is not flown off the deep end here. We see this as a repetitive theme in the Old Testament. This is a repetitive theme of Jesus. He spends time with the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. He goes to hated Samaria on purpose and spends time with, of all people, a woman. He goes to the righteous Pharisee's house. He goes to a, a crooked tax collector's house. He cures Jews. He cures Romans. Jesus says, all people, and I mean all, are welcome at my table. Dividing into groups might be normal in the world, but the church is not normal. We are the unique gospel creation of God. And how you and I do relationships matters. People are reading into us what they think God thinks about them. Whether we want this mantle or not, whether we want this responsibility or not, it doesn't matter. It's who we are. 
Great thinker Leslie Newbegin calls the church the hermeneutic of the gospel. It just means interpretation. The church, he says, is God's creation for helping an unbelieving world understand what in the world this gospel means. So we have to get on with this business about being the church. Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our faith is exclusive in that it's the, it, the only way to come to Jesus is by faith. That he's the only door. He's the only gate. But our faith is also inclusive. And that that invitation to God's table is for everyone. Right now, God is inviting people of any shape or size. People who wear skinny jeans. People who wear pleated pants. People who have the newest iPhone and people who can't work their old phone. People who have highlights in their hair and extensions in their hair and people who don't have any hair. You are welcome at his table. And here's the thing. People will know who God is welcoming by whom you welcome to your table and who I welcome to mine. Let's think for a moment about the ways that we can build these walls in between us. Some of the, the, the things that Galatians here is giving to us. First, age can be a wall, age. I was with my kids at a local hamburger restaurant this week and I'd arrived a few minutes after my family. So my kids came over to greet me at the door, big smiles, big hugs. They kind of skipped over, gave me uh, just the, this welcome that makes you feel like a million dollars, daddy. And as they turned around to take me to our table, an older lady was standing up. She didn't see them, they didn't see her, but they quickly did see her and moved around to give her plenty of space. And they both said, as if Amy and I have done something right as parents, excuse us, we're sorry. So happy, so kind, a parenting victory. Well, this lady turns and wrinkles her nose and curls her lip. She made absolutely no reply and just stared at my kids as they walked all the way back to the table. And I found myself sad that she couldn't enjoy their joy. Do you like spending time with people of a different age than you? It takes work. It's, it's hard sometimes. Jesus' disciples thought they were doing the right thing by excluding the kids, didn't they? And they received this firm rebuke. On the other hand, how do we treat people who are older? Do we honor them with the respect that the Scripture calls us to? Do we take care of those who've taken care of us? I'll give you a few more walls, but think about all the ways we can reach across these barriers. We've mentioned table fellowship. It's not just a Baptist thing. Potlucks are biblical. It's it's. Meals are wall-destroying tools. Another one is a smile. Do you know that a, the smile is universal? That across every language, the work it takes to smile is interpreted rightly. It means I'm, I'm happy, I care about you, I'm happy to see you. Really everything the Bible asks us to do Kindness, friendship, love, and the, the central thesis, the central ethic of love, all of it has relationships in mind. 
Except we so often turn it and make it self-serving and make it about trying to build the kind of clique that we want to build instead of using it to reach across as God commands us. Bonhoeffer knew a lot about Christian community, and I love what he says. In thinking about Christians who were alone in prisons in Nazi Germany, Bonhoeffer said this, He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the community. When the morning mists of the dream vanish, then the dawn of the bright day of Christian fellowship can rise. In that he's saying that if God gives you even one brother or sister in Christ, that person is to be valued and cherished. Yes, even their weaknesses, even those things that annoy you might be there on purpose. God might have put them there just like in a marriage to work on us, to help us grow. So age is a barrier. Another one is socioeconomic level. We see here neither slave nor free. Paul wants them all worshiping together and valuing each other. No matter how much money someone has or doesn't have, are are they all welcome with me in my house? The Corinthian church had these rich folks who were having these lavish meals before they celebrated the Lord's Supper as a community. The rich were drinking the best wine. They were really high in spirit and in spirits. By the time their meal was finally over, they would let the poor in and then celebrate community together. Well, when Paul hears of this in his writing in 1 Corinthians, you almost see steam coming off the pages as you sense his frustration that that they would do this. It's it's so easy to not be sensitive with money, but we have to be. Gender can be a barrier, neither male nor female. The implications for gender are massive in the New Testament. One of my favorite observations is where do women worship in the Old Testament? Well, in the court of the women, divided. Where do the Gentiles worship? Well, in the court of the Gentiles, divided. Where in the New Testament? Altogether. This is massive change that isn't even necessarily talked about. This is wonderful. There's this wonderful f- gender freedom, but the idea is God is restoring what he originally created, not destroying gender altogether. Rosaria Butterfield wrote this incredible book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. 1997, she was a tenured professor of English at Syracuse University. She led the Department of English, and she focused on the LGBT lifestyle. She wanted to write an article on what she called the chauvinism of this Christian group of men called the Promise Keepers. So she called the closest church to her that had registered with the Promise Keepers, and, well, the the pastor invites her to dinner with he and his wife in their home, And that's where they had their first interview about the promise keepers. But then the couple invited her over again and again and again for a year and a half. They welcomed her into their home. They shared Christ with her. They listened to her talk about her problems. They started reading the Bible together. And in 1999, Rosaria became a Christian. 
God completely transformed her lifestyle. Think about that, her entire academic career rode on her, on her lifestyle. It was jeopardized now. And now, today, she is a, a transformed believer who loves Jesus, who's married, has children. As I was thinking about her story this week, I wondered, would I, would you, have invited her over when we got that phone call? I'm from Syracuse University and I'm writing a story on the chauvinism of the promise keepers. Would my reaction have been, hey, would you like to come to dinner? Age, money, gender can all be barriers. And finally, ethnicity. The word nations and Gentiles in Galatians both come from the word ethne. So we get ethnicity, a people defined by a different language, culture, possibly, but not necessarily even skin color. Well, Dwayne Elmer tells about his family as missionaries trying to reach the Maasai people in Kenya. If you know the name, they are, they are hunter herdsmen. They are warriors known throughout Africa, the Maasai. These are not people you mess around with. Well, when Elmer and his family finally made contact with the tribe, they had coached and trained their children. Look, when the, if you see an elder, you step forward and put your head down, and he will place his hand on your bowed head. Well, Elmer said when our youngest son saw the first elder warrior coming, he did exactly as he'd been, been told. He stepped out far and bowed his head reverently. But mom and dad weren't quite ready for what happened next. The elder walked up to their youngest son and spit on his head. Not once. Not twice, but three times. Mark stepped back behind his mother, and when he had kind of stepped away, he said, Mom, that man spit on me. She said, I know, we'll just have to wait and see what it means. Later, when they were alone with their advisor, they asked, what was the spit about? And he just started laughing. He said, the elder was blessing your son. They do it all the time. In the arid lands that depend on rainfall, Spit is a symbol of moisture. They spit on their hands to make a business deal. They spit on their infants when they're first brought out into public. The women spit onto their forearms of a, of, of a person that they're happy to see. When we reach across barriers, we'll be surprised at what we learn. And the final barrier is a summary of them all, sin and selfishness. Ultimately, almost every barrier to a human relationship can be crossed when we put others ahead of ourselves. Crossing these barriers is a great invitation to adventure, but we'll miss our crossing signs if we don't know the Lord of the crossing, the Lord of the cross, Jesus himself. He's the only one who can convict us and show us how to reach out as we follow his example. A few months after Donna McDear lady first called into the radio in North Dakota, she called in again a second time. She was now famous. The YouTube audio video had several million hits now and, and listens. And what she couldn't stop saying to the host was, thank you. Thank you for being so nice to me. And he said, now, just to clarify, you know that the deer signs are for drivers now, right? 
She said, oh yes, I've had the reasons for the crossing signs explained to me. I, I have to say, I just feel not very smart, but you were so kind. Honestly, I had no clue what the signs were for. I'm from a small town. In my defense, we're really isolated there. And he said, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> it makes you think. What crossing signs has God sent me that I completely missed? What crossing signs does God invite you to? And you drive right by. See, compared to heaven, we've all grown up in a really small town, haven't we? The truth is, is that Jesus really did the crossing. He humbled himself. He left heaven. He walked among all of our junk. We didn't esteem him. We didn't revere him. We despised him and rejected him. We gave him a cross. And yet he still reaches down across the heavens. Talk about a barrier. He reaches across the heavens and invites you and me into his community. How will you answer him? Because to accept his invitation implies that we'll reach across our barriers too. We may just find that we like it out there. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we come to you thankful that you reached across the barrier from heaven to earth, the barrier from the holy to the earthly and you reached out in great humility, even going to a cross for us. Oh God, as we think about the ways that we wall ourselves off from others, may we hear your invitation to reach out and reach across. It is in your name we pray. Amen.